Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we have Enrique Meza on the show. Enrique is the founder and creative director of Meza Studios. He was born and raised in California's Central Valley and is a proud son of immigrant labor workers. Connection is a recurrent theme in his creative work, and deriving human emotions is what challenges him. His goal is to leave his audience with a sense of connection and adoration for its subject while maintaining the human element. His craft has granted him the opportunity to travel all over the world, in turn inspiring him to convey that message through his work. Enrique started Meza in 2003. Since then, he has built a forward-thinking business using creative concepts, campaigns, and collaboration with both traditional marketing agencies and mid-to-large-sized companies. Enrique's favorite part of the job is working with different industries and meeting various people from all walks of life. Outside the studio, Enrique loves to hang out with his family, travel, hike, and explore the local food scene wherever he might be. This is a wonderful conversation and one I know you will love. Let's go meet Enrique and Baker will take us there. Enrique, where do you like to eat in Fresno? I got a couple of good spots. Obviously, if I want something really nice, I think Annex, I love going there. That's kind of like my go-to, go-to for sure. Erlumitz is another great place. You know, that new place, what is it called? Faison is also good too. But then if you want, you know, like I'm Mexican, so, you know, I have a place that I like to go for carnazada tacos and a place that I like to go for al pastor and things like that. So there's, you know, like for Al Pastor Tacos, I still feel like this is the best place. And it's just a little supermarket. It's downtown. It's called El Mercado. And I feel like the best kind of Al Pastor Tacos, but it's in, it's literally in a supermarket and you walk in and the counter's there to the right and, and you kind of order there. And they have normal hours. They're not open late at night or anything like that. So, but yeah, I think those are some of my faves. Mm. So let's say you're biting into an Al Pastor Taco and you don't ever taste a pineapple. How are you going to feel about that taco? Yeah, I'm not so much. I mean, I do love the little the extra little sweetness of it, but if it's not in there, not I think it's more the flavor of the meat. Like, how is it dripping with some extra fat to kind of make it, you know, taste extra special? Like, you I like it on the crispier of, side, you know, off the what's it called? The yeah, the, the spit. Trump, yeah, the spit. Yeah, yeah. trompa in Spanish or yeah, trompa in Spanish. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I like it a crispier. You know, and 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 if they make fresh tortillas, even better. You know, that place I was talking about, El Mercado, makes fresh tortillas there. So it's kind of like it layers it on top of that. And I think I'm pretty sure they do the pineapple thing. Um, but again, I'm not I'm not like, oh, it's got to have that in there. You know, they give you other onions, the grilled onions and the jalapenos. And so it's, it's, it's really good. Yeah, I, I also love the handmade tortillas. And I think I think it I mean, it's it's harder than it seems because you have to make it soft, but it also has to be a carrier. And if it mm-hmm. can't if it can't carry the substance, then it kind of just turns into masa mush, which yeah. I'm I'm all for masa mush. I'll enjoy the flavor, but I also want the integrity of the taco. And it seems like yeah, that's and, tough balance. And not too thick. That's the thing too. Is like you know sometimes they're like just you're like you said you're just eating to a big thing of masa, and like I want it, like you said, whole all the things. I want it to be finish so that it doesn't feel like you're eating this big thing. You know, single tortilla. And just have like that extra softness that a fresh you know tortilla has. Absolutely. 
Well, I've got a ton of questions uh, for you about production, marketing, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I wanted to go back to college for a minute. What's your favorite programming language? I don't. So my background is more in computer in the, in the computer science, but it's more in network design. Oh, so okay. that's kind of what I specialized in. You know, I learned some basic stuff, but it's been so long that like I couldn't really. I'm sure the stuff that I did back then is not even really applicable or, or useful nowadays. Which is what um, I was gonna. Kind of, which I was gonna lead to that and ask, like, if yeah. you could go back in time, time machine style, and study marketing instead of computer programming, would you do it? Yeah, I think, or even just business. You know, like, there's not. I I had to learn all the business ins and outs on the job, if you will. You know, as as I went along, like best practices. Like, all right, like, yeah, maybe I should do this or getting hit with a big tax bill at the end of the year because I didn't prepare or I didn't have my business structured in a way that would make maximize, you know, either my return or maximize like my, you know, paying myself as an employee versus, you know, doing a sole proprietorship kind of thing. Right. So, but yeah, I think marketing and probably business more. Cause I think in, in retrospect, like I think marketing has just evolved all the time and it's different. Right. I mean, probably what I learned and what I would have learned in marketing back in, you know, like early nineties is probably not really applicable to what people are doing nowadays, you know? Yeah. And I, sometimes it's really hard to answer that question because we're, we are who we are now because of the path we've taken. And mm -hmm. I ask this question a lot to people. Cause I, sometimes I'll get people that studied something completely different went into a different field. And it's almost like you, it's, it's hard to Monday morning quarterback your development process. But then I also feel too, sometimes I meet people with the most business savvy that didn't get the MBA. And so mm -hmm. like, I wonder too, if that can be constraining. So it's, it's, it, it, it feels like it's hard to really determine. I mean, can you talk about your kind of like self-education? Is it just kind of like ad hoc? I need to do X. And so I need to go learn that. Or was there kind of a more like, not formal, but you know, a process where you're like, I'm going to read these books or I'm going to talk with these mm -hmm. people. Yeah. I think a lot of that really kind of came from, you know, this is still, you know, I graduated in, you know, college around 90, was it 93, 94? No, no, no I'm sorry, four, uh, 2003, 2004. So very, that's when I graduated from high school is 95. So it still was very early internet, right? So like YouTube was not really a big thing, you know, it's still pretty young and you wouldn't like what I do now is like, I just like, shit, I can't, I don't know what that is. Like, let me do a quick YouTube, you know, search and like, yeah, I got some guy that's showing me how to do it, you know? So I think for me early on, it was way more about like, who can I connect with? You know, what blogs are out there that are kind of showing this, buying courses online. I think you still do some of that now, but like, it, I think that was the thing to do is like, I'm going to buy this Joey Lawrence video because he's showing how to light all his subjects in a certain way. And I want to know what he's doing behind the scenes. Or, you know, at the time, too, there was a big blog that was called The Strobist, which, you know, his big thing was how to light anything with just one light, you know, one you know, or strobe, like a, a portable little light, bulb, a, a portable flash. So that was a big thing, you know, and buying courses and buying things and then reading books. I think that was a big, big thing for me, too, is just consuming books, photography books, you know, film books, and then kind of into the audio world as well, too. Podcasts were still uh, a big thing back then. And, and just, I had a job at the time where I had a lot of time on the road. So I just listened to things all day, you know, in, in every genre to kind of keep learning and kind of ingesting all the things that I can. But the business part of it was still like down the road. I think I never really got, it was more of the skill building that I 
that I had to figure out how to do or help build in that way. And, and I think some of that was also just helping people out, you know? Yeah. I think you're kind of tapping into what I see in terms of the most effective learning, which is just, it doesn't really matter the medium. It's just, you have a passion for the subject and you'll just consume yeah. like those people that are info boards, they'll just consume so much information about a particular subject and it doesn't matter how they access it, you know? And I think that, exactly. you know, I, I do remember buying a lot of those courses too. You know, I get advertisements for masterclass all the time. And yeah. I actually, one year, I don't know how this happened. There was like a one day deal where you could get a year subscription for a dollar and it, it was just like a, like a two hour window. And I happened to like open my email and get the ad and click on it. And I remember watching a bunch of the master classes. You watch like, you know, Annie Leibovitz describing how to take a picture or something. And I enjoyed them, but I don't know what I retained from all of that, you know? And yeah. I don't know if it was just because it was divorced from practice in some ways, or if, you know, learning something from someone famous it or someone that's like the top of their field, they, they're so far removed from a beginner that it's hard to even like have a conversation with. So it's like trying to learn how yeah. to shoot a free throw from Michael Jordan. Like how, 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 what's he going to have to say to you that would be useful? Exactly. Yeah. And I think those are the things that you realize as you, as you kind of progress in this, right? Like maybe the information that I can impart on somebody now, might now, or maybe at least I'm trying to be more conscious of like w what stage this person is in so that I can kind of give them the right, you know, little hints or things to kind of pick on pick up on that's not going to overwhelm somebody if i just somebody that's beginning and asking me what i like how i my process is and i kind of explain this whole thing and i just dump a bunch of stuff on there and and kind of go away this big level i think it's going to get this person like nowhere right it's not going to be helpful so i think trying to be conscious of where people are at and, and what stage they're in and then like kind of consuming things for that thing because i think i i see things uh, a lot differently than i did when i first started and, and sorry <laughs> the sound effects are on uh, I mean, some of the big visuals are on, so that's great. That's amazing. But are are a lot different than they than they were. Um, you know that like where I'm at now at this stage is different than when I was younger. And I think if I can look back at those, I was like, oh yeah, that's what they were talking about, or oh that's what I should have paid attention to. You know, but I think as you say, like I think some of those that that self journey is a thing of of, of like building who you are and kind of coming out the other end with all these experiences, good or bad, or you know, positive or negative to kind of figure out what, who you are at the end of the day. Right. And I, but I think more than anything is that like desire to kind of want to continue to learn and continue to kind of push yourself to like consume. I think I am definitely like that. I'm, I'm in the whole G, you know, chat GPT, like AI, like world right now. And I think I'm consuming that like hardcore because it definitely is something that I feel is valuable as a, you know, creative, if you will, when it comes to like the kind of work that I'm doing now. Yeah. Well, let's jump into that kind of work. I, I want to talk about storytelling to start. You know, I think that when you're, whether you're creating a documentary or a 30 second ad, you're thinking a lot about story. There's some things that in modern marketing that bothered me about the way we tell stories, you know, where you're trying to create a sense of anxiety in the consumer and then you yeah. alleviate that anxiety. I mean, I'm thinking of like that famous scene in Wolf of Wall Street where he asked him to sell the pen, you know, and it's just like this simple, like linear, like I'm going to set up a situation of need and then I'm going to yeah. alleviate that need for you. But then I see other, you know, I, I forget which particular uh, company was, had this ad, but it, it was just like, you didn't know until the end who it was, but the story was so beautiful that you were you were captured by it. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's a little bit manipulative in some ways, but I think 
you know, really at advertising and marketing and is really about just connecting with people and telling good stories. So when you're thinking about telling a good story, how do you start? So like, yeah, I think speaking on that part of like the, the compare contrast between two, two different kinds of sales styles, right? And I think that that's more, there is like the sales part that I'm not like down with. I think I'm not ever like, you know, you gotta, you gotta do this. And there's definitely people in like, even within my world, or in similar areas where like their there's the sales is how they do their business and like they may like that's the way they are you know there's a pushiness to it you know i think for me i'm um, the opposite of that i think it's more of being thoughtful with what we're doing also being aware of what what we're trying to do with whatever product story you know brand development we're trying to kind of come up with right what is what is our angle at the end you know wh whether it's a toy company or it's a university that wants their the testimonial stories to kind of stand out you know i think it's always what's our goal what do we want to do all right great like who are the characters in that like what are the people that like where are the pain points where where's the like the struggle you know like the 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 antagonist the protagonist like in, in and not so much in like a very story structure but like how can we kind of use those kind of tried and true, like building blocks of a story, but apply them to like a commercial world, right? And and have that be it. And, and sometimes it is just about being a very beautiful looking thing that will hopefully grab some attention, you know, and 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 that's that's the purpose of it, right? And whether that's some like the photography that I do or in some of the storytelling pieces where I, I got, yes, I, I, the story is impactful, but I also want it to look very beautiful and like people hold people's attention for longer than the 30, 10, you know, 15 seconds, whatever it may be. Yeah. I recently read a great book called How Big Things Get Done. It's a researcher from Europe, and he was describing kind of these big mega projects across the world, like building, you know, the Sydney Opera House or, you know, used as a negative example, the high-speed rail project and how that's been kind yeah. of a debacle <laughs> so far. One of the things he talks about is that, you know, we, we, we often don't spend enough time planning and we kind of jump into action. So I was curious for you, how do you kind of divide the ratio between concept, conception, and planning, and then actual execution of the project product? Yeah, I think you know I was listening to probably like a YouTube guy that I follow, but he was talking about that whole like pre-production and planning, and like how much of, how much do you devote to it, right? And how much do you kind of spend on that? And I think that that's just been always at the very beginning. I'm like. I just want to shoot. Like, let's just go. Like, who cares? We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out when we get there kind of thing, you know? And every year I feel like I've been gradually like expanding more of that pre-production stuff, you know, and, 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 and really spending, you know, sometimes probably more than like the shoot day or more than like, like the editing and the shoot day and all the stuff like combined, right? Like, you know, it could be a couple weeks of, you know, maybe 12 hours, you know, stay, you know, 32, 48 hours, you know, three days, four days of just kind of pre-production stuff before you actually start shooting. So uh, I think it's it's definitely lopsided. Like it's it's more on the pre-production part of it. And I think like not skimping on that. And, and and I think maybe if I told myself, my younger self or somebody else who was still kind of starting off, like like what, you know, I think I remember hearing that, hearing myself say that to me, like what is pre-production and what does that even like mean? And what is that like, like what should I be doing? Am I just planning out what cameras I'm using or planning out what shots I want to get? You know, I think all of it, I think it's a little bit of everything is like planning out like what our objective is, who are we going to be talking to, researching the 
a client that you're working with and making sure you really understand what what it is that we're doing you know we're, we're working with a client right now that i it is it's a very it's 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 um, it involves mostly it's it's women it's women focused and i have to really try and immerse myself into like that world you know of being 100% no like i've i've never you know given birth but like how do how do i what are the feelings that kind of come with that you know i'm the only guy in my family so you know, i only have daughters i only have sisters so i think a lot of it i can kind of really kind of get with and understand and it doesn't scare me or doesn't make me feel like weird but like in this particular project like a lot of the pre-production that i've been doing is just kind of figuring out like how can I relate to this piece to be like a mom type and like understand the struggles and the overwhelmingness of being a mom or being pregnant or like having all that, like going through your body and all that, all the change, like how, how can I kind of be in that, in that space and kind of be there. So a lot of it is that, that part of it. And then formulating questions in this interview style where we're not just like, well, tell me what it's like, you know, oh, you know like trying to be a little bit more uh, insightful and stuff. So I think, you know, long answer short, I think the pre-production part of it continues to grow every year. And I think as you build your career and you, you start getting you know further down in, in your career path, like the more people will respect what you're doing because you're spending more time doing that. And like at the end of the day, like you should have better results because of that. Yeah. And, uh, and kind of on that note, I wanted to talk about client management. I mean, there's a famous saying that, you know, 20% of your clients take 80% of your time. You know, we all have those challenging clients and obviously we're not going to name any names of particular clients. I was curious if, if the, and I, I'm kind of thinking of that scene in Mad Men where he's creating the cigarette campaign. It's one of the first couple episodes and just how challenging it is. And I was curious if for you, you know, the kind of the size and the scale of your client's business or operation increases the challenges with concept creation with them because they've got so many more stakeholders, whereas smaller businesses can be more nimble because maybe they have smaller leadership teams. Can you discuss kind of the differences between size? Yeah, I think that that having a smaller company like will kind of, you know, there's like I said, there's not that many stakeholders involved. And sometimes like they're okay with like believing 100% what your idea is and, and having that kind of come to life. Um, and and in, in some instances it's easier, but some also in some instances it's harder because they're also being more critical of how much money they're spending and everything, and and they want to make sure that whatever money they're forking down is going to hopefully return something, and, you know, and 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 they want to quantify all the decisions and like have more input and stuff. Whereas when you have a larger corporation or company, like there may be just as much kind of pre-planning stuff we're thinking about like how this is going to be used but there's so many other people involved that like a lot of that legwork kind of gets parsed out to other people and like you ultimately are like tasked with like i need you to do this like here's a creative here's everything that we have you may tweak it you 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 know you may have the option to, or you may have the the like the the green light to tweak some stuff or sometimes you're like this is it it's gotta it's gotta look like this or feel like this and and then when you you know so, so the, the, the product, the production, everything is, is pretty tight knit, you know, like you kind of know a finite, like what, what's going to happen. So, and, and the flip side of that in a bigger company, like it's, it can be a little bit easier to kind of pull things off. But the, like the big caveat to that is that you have to do it well, right? You have to be able to produce at a high level and you can't just, you know, dick around or be like, oh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, like, oh, maybe this shot will work. Maybe that. like, no, no, we got to do all the shots first. And then, and then if we have time, like, let's try your crazy idea, you know, Joe, the, the, the cameraman or whatever. Cause I want to, 
uh, he wants to try something. You know, I think, no, we got to get all these things first because we got to make sure we have everything we need and then we can play around with some stuff. And then maybe there's a possibility that we can show them something unexpected that they might think is even a little bit cooler than what their idea was, you know? So yeah, I think as you move up the ladder, there there is maybe less pressure to some extent, but there is more, you have to produce, you know, you have to, they're paying a lot of money. You have to produce the end result. Yeah. And what, what happens when they don't like the particular outcome, whether that's an, you know, initial draft, if you will, or further down, and then someone suddenly gets cold feet about the direction or something. And how, how do you, how do you talk someone off a ledge or handle, handle that kind of creative difference? Yeah. I mean, thankfully, like knock on wood, we haven't had any really like major things like that. Right? I mean, there's been some editing decisions that like, oh, I don't like this or that, or maybe can we, can we change what he's saying because it's not fitting with the message that we want to get? You know, I think our clients tend to trust like the decision and, and, and that goes back into the pre-production part of it is being aware of what, like if we're producing a, a uh, testimonial video that's going to inspire somebody to, to go to university, like all our mindset has to be on like what it's going to be the best angle to deliver that message. Right. Um, you know, and, and like I said, thankfully we haven't had too many of those things. I think, Sometimes creative differences, yes. I think when we're initially pitching a, a crazy idea, right? I might have like, here's a crazy, crazy idea. And here's one that's like middle of the row, you know, like, you know, and we try and push the crazy idea always and see if they bite and if they like that. And if not, then like we can kind of always go back to this other version. So I think oh, sometimes- really? So you in, approach with two plans and you know, kind of like- Sometimes, you're, not you're always. Like, think, to use yeah. the cinematic, like your art auteur like approach <laughs> and then the more kind of formulaic- yeah, yeah, I think not for everything. There's sometimes it's just like there's this, you know, you know, crazy idea that I had. Like, tell me if it's stupid or if you don't if you don't believe in it. And like, obviously, it's my job to kind of create the visuals and build it up and have that and 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 sell it in that way. And, and yeah, sometimes they do. I think that's probably more where I've been been maybe you know pulled off that like ledge of like no, that's just too crazy for our brand or whatever, too wild. You know, even wild when I'm saying like, it's just, it's just an idea that may ruffle some feathers or may, you know, put them in a weird kind of position. And, and those are the kind of things that I probably get more than like, we've already produced a spot and like, we hate it or something like that. Right. I think I get to have anything major like that, you know, like, thankfully, like things have been good revisions, edits, tweaks, like, yes, I think in any kind of world, but we try and really kind of nail it the first time. I would say we're probably, we're pretty good. I think above average on, on trying to get people to like, you know, approve like the overall thing. Like we may need to color correct and things like that afterwards, but like, is the message there? Are we get, are we hitting it home? Like, I think that, that we do a good job of doing that. Can you share a particular client you worked with where they said yes to the crazy idea and how it turned out? What would be one? I'll have to like, maybe I can circle back around. There's one that we're working on right now that like I, I that comes to mind, but uh, I don't think I want to spoil much of what we have going on for that. Fair enough. Um, and I do edit this so we can always circle back yeah. and, and kind of reinsert. Yeah. So that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Let's jump on to the the next set. Of oh, you know what? Here. Let me let me. Yeah, go ahead. I can I can do one right now because um, we were just talking about earlier about getting rid of some of these props. So one idea that we had was there was for a pet treat company. Right. And the pet treat company was called Plato, uh, as in like, you know, at least in my head. And I forget exactly if it was maybe business owners, just names of the, of the dog or whatever. But Plato to me brought up the feeling of like, what are they called? Like Socrates and what is the name for them? Like philosophers, right? Yeah, philosophers. Yeah. So, you know, I, in my head, I'm like, 
we're going to get a dog, you know, we're going to have, we're going to do a panning shot of these philosophers and then we're going to end up on Plato and Plato, you know, and we're thinking we're going to have them like Roman style where we have these pillars, white pillars with us, with a bust of each one of them. And then we slide down and we're going to Plato, but Plato instead is a dog with glasses with his head on a pedestal. And then we'll cut to like, you know, from philosophers, blah, 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 Plato comes Plato, you know, I forget how, how this, how the script goes. And then we have this dog and then we cut to like a very fun kind of thing, you know, but at that first three, four seconds of like, what the heck am I watching? They're like <laughs> being surprised by this like cute dog that like, you know, was the best dog ever that like really like let us position him in whatever position and wear glasses and do things that, that really kind of made that piece come together. Right. And I think that was a little bit of a, of a harder sell to try and get them to like, go that approach and just be cutesy with it and just kind of play a little bit up with the name. So that's one that kind of comes to mind that I think ultimately, like we love it. I still love it as, as a like showpiece that we like to share with people. Hmm. Let me ask you this. I asked another kind of uh, person that works in your space this question. I was curious how you would answer it. I'd say I gave you the choice between having a 30 second ad in a Mr. Beast video or a 30 second ad in the Super Bowl. Which would you choose and why? Yeah. I mean, I think just the Mr. Beast is not my style. Like, I think just that that platform is not my style. I think that's probably where, where I would, I'd rather do the Super Bowl and like make it something more visually impactful and meaningful where you get a broader audience, right? I think the audience of Mr. Beast is a certain type of like audience. And uh, I just don't think that we would hit home with a style of video that I would probably do for, for something like that. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about per the actual production side now. Um, yep. and I want you to use your crystal ball for a minute. Um, do you think we're headed for a place where DSLR cameras and rigs and all that stuff will kind of be outdated and everyone will just have phones with dongles and like little USB mics plugged into the bottom of their phones and just for the speed and efficiency of it and as the you know quality continues to increase? Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I think that there's there's two different camps, right? Like if you're creating content, right? Whether you're an influencer or you're a brand creator, you know, you're doing you work for a brand and you create content for them on a regular basis. I think the phone and the dongle and like now having like, I know I have an iPhone 15 and like, you know, I've shot some stuff with it, like with the ProRes features and like, it just, it looks really, really good and it's convincing. And, and we've shot recently some stuff that we need just some B-roll pickup shots. I wanted to have the phone underwater, like through, we're doing some like irrigation type project, but like, like, I'm like, I'll just put the phone in the water. Like, you know, like it's waterproof. Like it's not going to be like, and I'll record on ProRes and it'll be fine. And, but I did it and like the shots look like good enough. I'm like, yeah, we can definitely, you know, as a B-roll shot, like nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to, I mean, somebody probably, people will probably be able to pick it out. But like, you know, you, you show up for two, three seconds, nobody's going to care. Like, but it'll be a cool underwater shot where you see like the water flowing and trees on the top. So, so that's like one camp is like, yeah, the creative content, the creators, like I think a phone is, I wish I had a phone like this when I was younger or even that I knew that I wanted to do more of this when I was younger. Right. And, and like, to be able to create as much stuff as possible. Like my daughters play with the little, it's not a GoPro, but it's like an Insta and they're like very small, like, you know, it looks like a little capsule, um, but they do little home videos and stuff with that. And that's, that's fun. And like, they're able to do that sort of stuff. So I think there's always a use for like a content creator and, 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 the platforms that we all view stuff on now are, you know, Instagram. I mean, Reels, just think about stuff, some right? of those directors, you know, that shot on the yeah. super, like I was thinking about JJ Abrams cutting up Spielberg super eight. Just imagine if he was running around with an iPhone 15, not that, yeah. not that like your image quality determines the success of your content, 
but it plays a big role. Exactly. And, and some of that still has to go back to like, are you, are you telling a good enough story? Right. Mm-hmm. And you can rig up these phones with like lenses and like get wider fields of views and like have that shallow depth of field naturally and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of things to do, but in terms of like a commercial look and feel like there is a difference, you know, like there, there is a visual difference. And I think people can tell that and can feel something just a little bit more, you know, higher quality, higher production quality when you do that. So I think there's two different camps. And I think where they're, I don't think they will go away. I think they may morph into something like they keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I think that they will continue to do that. And maybe like a sensor is detached from a body somehow or something, but I think it's still the cinema like look. And then there's the like content creator look, which is mobile. What's more expensive for you as a business owner, the production or the post-production? Probably the production. I think there's more people involved, right? There's more talent, whether that's, you know, whether we're hiring talent and makeup and, hiring on extra people to help with the project because you wanted to just run smoothly and be efficient. I think that's definitely the, the, the higher cost is, is the, the production piece. Okay. Have you experimented with like things like Runway or Adobe's Firefly? Do you think these AI tools are going to make your workflow super simple in the future? Not, I mean, I've used, so Doll, right? Dolly. Yeah. I was just using it yesterday and I was talking to my wife about it, how, Lately, I've been using it to create storyboards, right? And, and and to help me visualize in a better way than I could with stock photo. Because prior to that, prior to just like this past week, I've been really just going on iStock or whoever and just, just drinking beer, you know, like, and that's what I want a shot of, right? So now with like, with Ali, like I can kind of really define what I want. And I think I really kind of felt like I kind of cracked the code yesterday with doing some very preemptive prompt thing that that spit out exactly kind of what I wanted, right? Because if you tell it to do something, it will do it, but it may just give you like a very tight version of that, right? So I created this whole thing where I had to do research and I and I gave it like samples of the product and all this stuff, right? And and it was very descriptive with it. But I also said like for each scene that I'm gonna give you, I need you to create, you know, create what you would what you kind of imagine that to be create a wide shot of that of, of that creation and then give me two b-roll shots that a company that can accompany this thing right so it's spitting me spitting out six different images per like theme that i'm giving it so you know i'm sitting there like great and then you know it'll it, you know if i give them i gave them like six scenes it'll spit out the first scene and ask me like all right do you, does this look good do you want me to continue do you want to tweak and then if i need any tweaks it will just do the whole thing over again and give me a better result right or or if I'm happy with it, just yeah, go on to the next scene. So that's been really kind of helpful a lot, especially when I'm trying to do something that's very, I'm not going to find a stock photo of it, right? I'm not going to find maybe that same scenario, like the way that I want it. Like, yeah, it may look funky. Some person may have three hands or <laughs> the spelling is not going to be right, but it is something that I just have been finding that's pretty invaluable for for what we've been doing nowadays. Well, and I think a, a lot of times we underrate the importance of taste and curation. As someone that's been messing around with a lot of this stuff too, like I will admit I spent a good full day with this interspersed throughout my workday of trying to get the mid-journey to produce the perfect picture of my dog on Mars. And like <laughs> I, I went through so many iterations and it became almost like I was perseverating on getting the right thing. And I, at the end of the day, I just wasn't satisfied with any of them. Yeah. And I I think, you know, I think it really is true that sometimes the medium becomes the message. And I'm just hoping we don't lose the sense of the importance of the human element in selecting good content. Because, you know, 
artificial intelligence can just produce, 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 iterate, 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 iterate. But I, I think it still requires a human to select. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's one thing that, you know, I feel like, yes, there, you know, I think I feel like Steve, Steve Jobs, I mean, yeah, has said it before. We're like, yeah, you know, talking about Bill Gates, you know, but he does, you know, saying something like he doesn't have taste, right? Like that's, that's one thing that I feel like is you have to like, yes, know what you want, but also like know what is current or trending or tasteful or whatever, whatever just feels right. Right. And I think that that, yes, the, the AI stuff, although it looks really cool and interesting, it's, it's, for me, it's more of a tool to like show a client, like this is the direction we're going and then they know our work and they know that we're going to obviously bring it to life, but like, at least it's a good template for delivering something that looks closer to what I'm kind of picturing so that I can kind of help hopefully win over that project or win over that, that, that creative concept. Okay. We're going to take a brief break here and jump to my favorite section, which is called overrated versus underrated. I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff at you. You tell me whether you think they're <laughs> over underrated and why first one, Seth Godin, odor, over or underrated. I think under, I mean, I feel like I've definitely followed a lot of his stuff and I, and I, I with anything, I think take what you can from it. And, but I do value some of the insights and some of his just take some things. Yeah. Is there any particular insight that comes to mind? There's one book that I read from him. I'd have to look up what the title is. It's been a while back. Wasn't the purple cow, one. was it? No, there's probably something a little bit after that, but I'd have to look it up and see. Okay. No worries. We'll, we'll jump on to the next yes. one. Uh, next one, uh, me and Ed's pizza. Overrated. I mean, I do like it, but I'm like, eh, like I'm not just, a, I'm not a big pizza, like that style of pizza guy in general. I like more of the like oven style ones, like, you know, uh, Nesso style, right? Or brick oven. It just has a different taste, different texture of everything, right? Like the cracker crust. I mean, I do love their Valley Veggie. Like that's my, like, I think a go-to, but. What's on uh, the Valley Veggie? Just, I haven't ordered that before. It's just all vegetables, right? Like there's broccoli, yeah. artichokes, olives, tomatoes. Like it's a, it's a whole like salad on there basically. And you can do a chicken one, which they'll put pieces of chicken on top of the, the veggies. So yeah. Wonderful. Next one, miniatures over or underrated doing thing in miniature. I think underrated. I mean, we've done some stuff and I think I want to do some new stuff with it. We did some car like California low cost auto insurance. And we basically built a whole town here in miniatures, you know, poor Michelle that works with me. She had to like, not she had to, but she decided to take on building everything. So like, it was like this, this, you know, maybe three by three square, and we built a whole town with a park and houses and a street and all this sort of stuff. But it was really cool to kind of get those shots where you're kind of way down low. I think the flip side to that is like where you can see all the details and all the like, this little human doesn't have like facial features at all. But you get the idea, right? There was a gas station too, like where people were pumping gas. Like it was, it was pretty cool. And I think I want to do some of that with some still photography, like product stuff, some beverages in particular that I think it would be kind of cool to, to kind of bring some of that back. Is there any trick to making it not look, quote, cheesy? No, I mean, not, yeah, I don't think so. I think maybe depth of field. I mean, you, you have to realize that, yes, whoever sees this is going to know that it's not, you know, the scale. But I think it's just trying to put all those elements together, right? I think in my head, there's something that I wanted, they wanted to do with like Tioga with some new beer that they have going, coming, but like I want to create basically a forest with that there. And like, I would love to have the snow on there, maybe a mountain in the background, you know, and, and, probably using a special kind of like a tilt shift lens to kind of really get everything, the plane of field in focus, maybe add some smoke, whatever, you know, all this sort of stuff. But 
Is there any ads that you've seen it where it's done well? There's There's been some, I don't know if it's a train stuff. I know we did some stuff with Amtrak's that I really loved. That was fun. We basically brought a big rock in, tracks around this thing and, and it kind of, and trees everywhere. And it felt like a train was coming there. For a split second, you can, you you know, we we're, we're had the camera on a dolly. So we're following it like right there. You know, for a split second, you can kind of feel like you were in the train and we added a voiceover that it was like a kid inside the train, you know, talking. So I think all those elements kind of come to life. I feel like I've saw, I've seen something else with, with that, like a Coca-Cola commercial or something like that, you know, when they do something, but, but yeah, I think that's just another level of stuff too, where it almost looks like it's maybe motion graphics or like an animation type thing. Okay. Next one. This is an either or Oracle or Chase Center. I like Chase Center. I mean, it's just the technology looks nice. It's super beautiful place. I guess Chase Center. I, I have not been to Chase Center. I've been to Oracle and I, you know, I've heard, I've heard mixed things. I've heard people describe what, what you described that it's really nice. It's top of the line, but there's something sentimental about the place where all, you know, a lot of the things went down, if you will. Yep. And I'm not sure if, you know, that kind of mood or aura carried itself across the bay. Yeah, I think it definitely feels different in, in terms of the type of people there, right? It doesn't have that greedy, grittiness, if you will. Mm. I think it lost some of that there. But I mean, the place is just beautiful. It's it's super nice. And I went to Oracle before too. And I, I mean, I loved Oracle as well, but it definitely different vibe altogether. Okay. The underground gardens. I don't know. Under, I mean, overrated, I think. It's just like, I think you've been there once. You kind of you kind of know what to expect. <laughs> you, don't uh, a, you don't get a season yeah. pass. All right, we yeah, won't like go, we won't go any been... further because uh, there might be some underground garden devotees <laughs> listening. Next one, guerrilla marketing, underrated. I think I like in some art hops installations that I've done in the years past. Like I remember going out in the night and like putting up posters like in tower and like sticking them to things. And I feel like Ally does a lot of that. You know, like with the banners and things just plastered. Like it, it can look ugly, but I think it's also just something fun about like seeing something plastered somewhere that like, you know, that you're trying to help push in some way. Um, and we just don't do that in Fresno at all. So I think that, that, that it's something that, that I would be down to support. Yeah. I, I remember when I lived in San Francisco, I lived kind of a outer mission, well, closer to ocean Avenue. And there was a group of guys that lived in the basement and they would go to Smart and Final and get like a thousand of those like name tags that you stick on your chest when you go to an event and they would just yeah. put, you know, put their, put their logo or whatever on it. And then just like, just everywhere. And I was, you know, I just watched them for hours, just <laughs> stenciling the same thing on each one of those stickers and just going like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, we're getting ourselves out there. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no, I <laughs> don't fully understand, but I'm, I'm here for it. All right. Yeah. Next one. Uh, Nobu over underrated. Nobu in Malibu is nice. I would say I've been there before just to, just cause it's in Malibu and it's like sitting right off the coast. But as far as, you know, the food there, I mean, I feel like it's great. Yeah. But you can probably, probably get the same thing or similar things in other places as well. Yeah. I, I've, and I know you like nice food. And I was thinking about this recently after whatever the name of that restaurant in, I don't know, it's in one of those Scandinavian countries had to close down because, you know, just operational costs were just too much. And, you know, I often reflect on like whether, you know, that world has a future and if, if it's worth it, you know, for the, what people put in and the work they put in for it. Yeah, I think it's not an easy, an easy thing. I mean, just like what I do, I don't think is an easy thing. I, I don't, wouldn't recommend it a hundred percent to anybody, you know, unless they really have some stamina and like want to 
to like freak out every once in a while, you know? Um, mm. It's the same thing I think in a restaurant, you know, it, it, I feel like the margins have to be pretty slim unless you're like, you know, you're constantly selling out or you have to comp compromise on quality of stuff, right? Like, like when we talk about a place like Nobu, right? Like I, I, I was thankful enough to be able to go to like Ennaka, which was like on, you know, chef's table, like first season or second season, small little sushi place, like very, very small, probably fits maybe 30 people in there. But that experience was like so good. And I, I feel like I probably didn't probably paid just as much or maybe barely a little bit more than what I would have paid at Nobu, you know, for, for the same or similar thing where the experience is just way, way more, you know, but, but I think that that's like what, you know, and that at that high end, you know, like even in my high end of production or high end of, of what I do, I, I don't think that I'm even that high end, you know, you pay for the quality and you pay that you, you, know, you pay for things that you know, you're going to get a great experience. And you know that what you're going to get is going to be like delivered and, and promised as, as the reputation kind of, you know, as your reputation kind of uh, is out there. Right. Yeah. It's a little bit like, you know, with psychedelics or with anything like mm -hmm. the set and setting matters and like that, you know, like creating something that's sacred can, you know, even if the food is not the greatest food in the world, it can, it can kind of prime you for that. All right. Next one. Yeah. I agree. totally out of left field. Marcus Brownlee or is it Marquez? Marquez. Marquez. Yeah. I mean, I, is, we're still on the, like, I think underrated. I think I get my wife to watch him and she's not even a super tech person and she loves, loves the way his stuff looks and feels and how would you like describe his style? Like, what is he doing? What is he doing? Well, I'm trying to, I, I tried to understand that recently, like just because he's one of the most popular like, tech reviewers online. I was like, what are you doing? Is it just how you speak to us or what is it? I think he can be, he feels relatable. He feels, he doesn't look too like, like, oh, I couldn't hang out with Marquez. You know, I feel like if I, if, if I got a chance to hang out, like I could probably hang out with him and be totally fine and comfortable with him. But I think his delivery and then like just the visual look of it, like I know they shoot on the same cameras that we shoot, you know, that we shoot on, they shoot on reds and, and it just has this like polished look to it that like even my wife would comment on like his stuff just is so good. It just looks good and feels good. And he's very comfortable like talking into camera, the long pauses, the like pondering of stuff. Um, I feel like he does a great job at, at doing that and he's been doing it forever. I mean, I've seen videos of him when he was a little kid, you know? Yeah. Watching formula one on TV. I, I mean, I think it's, I don't know. I, I had a chance to go last year to the Las Vegas one. Cause and, I haven't ever seen it in person. I've only seen yeah. it on TV and I'm, I'm trying to, you I, know, I like to understand, especially things that have developed devoted fan bases that have loyal followers like what it is that speaks to them about the particular discipline. And sometimes yeah. I have a hard time connecting on TV with things. And so I was curious. Yeah, about I think underrated. And I think the the thing that you, you know, you have to be, you know, if you follow like a sports team or whatever, you know, there's like the, there is the Formula One app, right? And they do like an hour before each race, they have like the pre-race stuff where they talk about, they talk to all the people on like all the different, you know, drivers or, or they'll break down what the circuit's like, or, you know, so you can get super deep into it. And I think that that might be what people miss. You know, I think sometimes you don't get a lot of the backstory and, and like a show, obviously like drive to survive has helped in kind of filling in some of those gaps, but some of that is like dramatized, right. In some way. But, but when you kind of get in there, like, and I, me and my wife will get up and watch it. You know, if it's a 6am race, we'll be up at five to watch the pre-race and and then watch the race as well so experience viewable like i think if you have a, a like a nice big tv like 
it's great because you can just kind of immerse yourself in that whole thing. But when we went to the, when I actually got a chance to go to the, to the race, like it was, it was great. It was awesome because you can have the, you have the smells, you have the speed that you don't get on TV, but you only have one view of the track, right? So you don't know what's going on at the turn 14 or whatever on the other end of the track. You know, you're only seeing what you see there. But that experience in, 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 in general, I'd say like, yeah, will I go again to another one? I don't know. I may want to like go to a, like not to Las Vegas, but go to a different place where maybe you can walk around a little bit more and see different angles of, of the track. But I think definitely underrated. I, 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 I didn't think I would ever be into like racing in that level. And obviously I, I have a, a Red Bull hat on. So let that talk, let's already says something. But I think that if you can kind of be into it, there's a lot to know about it. And I think that that's the part that I like is just knowing all the technical things and the engineering that goes into making these cars that that's what really kind of makes me like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay. Last one. What is Kendrick Lamar's best album and what makes him a good storyteller? I liked damn, like that was really, really good. I think that that was for me, you know, I've been listening to him for a very long time, but I think that that, that, that album in particular, like just really painted a lot of pictures in my head, kind of in a way that like, I, you know, I don't know if you listened to like Nas growing up. I think he did a really great job with, with doing some stories and, and, and in his lyrics, like being able to visualize where, who the character in that story, in that, in that, that song is and where he's at and kind of walking through those. I do love that he hits like Kendrick Lamar hits more on like, um, just like racial inequality and, and, and even just like, even in the most recent album where he kind of hit hinted on or, or talked in one of the songs, I forget the name of the song where he was talking about, you know, like gender, right? Like I think it was, I forgot what the name of the song is, but talking about, I think it was his uncle that was, you know, like a trans or something like that. So I think that that was like really cool that he was able to kind of do that in a rap where like that would have been probably taboo to say anything like that 10 years ago, right? You probably would have been like, "That's this guy's not a rapper, you know? Yeah. Um, I Now I kind of want to ask some questions that are more Fresno related. Um, do you think ads that are effective in Fresno could be effective in other cities? Or is there a yeah. Fresno pastiche or a Fresno taste or a Fresno focused perspective that makes ads effective here, less effective mm-hmm. in other places? You know, I, I kind of think about that every once in a while, because, you know, if I'm in LA, in particular LA, because, you know, I think they could push the envelope a little bit more with whether that's just more evocative taglines or raunchier kind of slogans, things like that, right? Where I just think that we are definitely more in a more conservative like area, right? And people, I think it would be all over the news if somebody had done so, did some sort of like raunchy kind of <laughs> ad or even just kind of hinted at something like that, right? I think the the ones that I see the most that kind of make me question whether are like the plumber ones, like OnlyFans. I don't know if you've seen that one. Uh, it's like a plumbing company, but they talk about like in some way or like it was during the summer, they had these technicians like dropping water over their face, but it said something like something about OnlyFans, you know, like, like we'll, we will kind of have you not stop, you know, or not use an only, I forgot how the, the thing was, but I was like, oh, that's, that's fun. Or even the, the neutering one, right? Like it takes balls to like, to do something when they're talking about pet neutering pets and stuff like that. So I think it's just, we don't have a lot of platform and spaces to do that, right? I, on the way here, it's been up for a while, but like Peels, which is Fowler Packing, like they put up on this big, like, what do they call it? Uh, like a storage facility place right down the street from our office. They put up a whole wall, like billboard that goes up, you know, it's probably 
don't know, 50 feet tall, maybe bigger. And I, I love that. I feel like that there should be more of that, but I think there's probably would be a pushback into like, I don't want to have our, all our buildings just be nothing but advertisements where in LA, like, yeah, you'll go buy a building or several buildings and they'll all have ads like hanging from the top floor to the bottom floor. Well, you cross the Bay Bridge and you're just, you're yeah, just inundated exactly. with it. And it's just like, you know, it's just part of the landscape for some people. Maybe that's mm-hmm. some kind of a suburban thing too. I agree. What what's your kind of read right now on local television? You know, I th- I know that local TV news is struggling, like a lot of local stuff. I mean, you know, media in general is struggling. I mm-hmm. watch Pitfork, Pitchfork get absorbed into GQ, and the LA Times is laying off people. Those are local newspapers. You know, local news yeah. probably is experiencing a lot. So, what's your kind of read on local television and local news right now? Yeah, I mean, I I can probably count on my hand how many times we've produce something for television, right? Like, whereas early in my career, we would do several TV spots throughout the year, right? Like at least produce the spots that they will, you know, that need to be cut a hard 30 because they need to be on TV and all that sort of stuff. Where now we have some flexibility because most of the time they're a pre-roll ad or, you know, even like 15s. So, but I just feel like, I don't know. I I don't, I don't know what's going to happen because I don't, I can't, I couldn't tell you the last time I watched news you know at all or, or local television period i think we're all in that on-demand world and then even more so than that like we're just consuming stuff on our devices right whether that's an ipad or an iphone um as our form of intaking like news and i think we're kind of slowly bringing that kind of funnel to like only a handful of companies that are kind of really delivering stuff other than that you have to kind of go out and search for more of a niche market of like i want to learn about homelessness in fresno i got to follow this person or that person. Yeah. Siloed. I mean, I, I definitely feel that way with, cause I follow a lot of writers online and it used to be you'd like subscribe to a single newspaper or media outlet and you'd get a mm-hmm. set crew of writers that you really liked. Now I have to subscribe to like 12 different sub stacks and each of them is $5 a month. And I'm like, what happened? You know, I had, I had I one know. subscription before and now, I mean, that's true. And kind of all, you know, you know, this kind of fragmentation of all these different services and, I, I the other thing I think about, and this is obviously Fresno focused, is if we're all consuming our content through these, you know, you know, technology companies and media conglomerates, like there's just gonna be a lot less local stuff. I mean, I feel like people are gonna be less connected to their their local environment and community. Is that your read as well? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think I had this conversation or at least this thought, like when I first moved back from because I, I lived in San Francisco for a while. And I moved back and I was trying to starting to kind of start doing some video stuff. And I'm like, man, you know, the Fresno Bee really needs to ditch all of this print stuff. And like, they need to go full on hardcore, like online only videos. Like that's what it has to be, you know, to like, to make a difference is you have to have a video, a video platform first and like constantly be putting out like, you know, it's, it's the, what is now called the content creator, right? Like they should, they need to just have, nothing but content creators being hired to to run the news and and, and do it that way. And, and I feel like that that's the direction it should go, right? I think that like you know, New York Times has very immersive stuff. So does like Washington Post where they have more, you can tell that they're actually spending some money on like getting people to create stuff for them. But like local, yeah, I think it's, you know, you know, once the, like my parents and older generation kind of go away, like I don't know who else is going to want to watch TV. Yeah. No, news. I, yeah. yeah, I struggle with it. My, yeah, my parents, I, I don't need to apologize. My parents use my YouTube <laughs> TV and 
you know, I ask them what they watch and they said, well, they watch local news and, you know, a few other things. I think survivors are on their list as well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, kind of of my parents' generation. And yeah, I, I couldn't, you know, there's sometimes where I'll see a segment or two, but I don't sit down linear cable style and watch it all yeah. the way through. Like I want yeah. it, I want it portioned out for me so I can select because I, you know, it's not that I don't trust the TV producers to serve me what I want, but I'm so used to getting served what I want that I don't want anyone else to serve me. And maybe that's yeah, just, yeah. I don't know, millennials kind of narcissism or something going on there. But I, yeah, I, I can't even fathom just sitting down and just watching it all the way through. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I'm the, the same thing. So uh, last question before we get to book recommendations. Let's say I make mm -hmm. you kind of the, just the kind of uh, content producer slash marketing czar of Fresno, and you have to create content that exemplifies who the city is, what it represents, but also maybe some challenging content for encouraging those that are living in isolated pockets to develop better tight-knit communities. How, how would you think about approaching creating content and marketing the city? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we do a little bit of that, like it help, you know, certain, certain organizations here too. I think it's always a challenge to kind of who are we kind of targeting, right? And who, who is the audience and how do we kind of put all those things and pieces together? I mean, short answer is like, I don't really know. I think just putting out as much content as we can is like obviously one thing, but like, how do we do that? Like, I, I don't feel like I have the right answer for that. I think it's kind of taking different you know i think maybe what, what would what would be interesting was to is to have like the city have its own kind of content creation thing right where they are tasked with like just putting out like videos about all the things that are kind of happening like they have their calendar of events and like all right we got to create videos and, and like promote and market and share what the city and the, the county is kind of doing on a regular and continual basis right the instagram post of like uh, a calendar with like what's going on like is not going to cut it i think it needs to be a lot more in your face and, and and honestly probably more dollars behind certain things and campaigns and but yeah I've, i don't know i think it's hard it's it's difficult for us to do it sometimes with certain certain things that we end up always just doing on uh, there's this agenda that that needs to be discussed so we're going to work on that for uh, you know a couple months or whatever or there's this one initiative that needs to get passed so we they're you know we're going to help do this and that's it and but there's not like an encapsulating kind of thing that that goes around. You know, downtown partnership is doing some stuff. I think that they're kind of maybe on a little bit on the right track, but I think it still goes back to you need somebody to be able to push out content and good content on a daily basis. You know, sometimes twice. You know, more than once a day. Yeah, and I, you know, I've talked with people about those. They're like little, not flags, but like, you know, big. I guess they're flags, but they say one Fresno and they've got a picture mm -hmm. of someone from the community saying something positive or something. And most of, most of the people I talk to about it express kind of the cognitive dissonance of that, you know, which is like, that's not my experience, you know, and we know that Fresno is segregated across multiple lines. And so, you know, there's something maybe aspirational about that in some ways, but I think also, I, I don't know. And, you know, I, in some ways I'm trying to do this with this podcast, which is mm -hmm. embrace the reality of what is and accept the reality of what is, but also aspire to something better. And I don't know how you merge those things. You know, I think that's something that personally I wrestle with is how yeah. do you accept reality, but also want to change reality at the same time? Yeah, I think it's a difficult task for sure. I think, yeah, in my head, I feel like I, I kind of, I'm more of like, whatever's in front of me is what I'm going to do. And like, 
sometimes I don't always think about the other ancillary, like uh, you know, the things that are kind of all, around me. But yeah, I think it's a hard, a hard question to answer. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think in a lot of ways, what I appreciate is there's people like you know Brian over at CMAC that are empowering mm-hmm. people to tell stories and like exactly. giving them equipment and saying go right. And I think you know that generative approach of seeing people around the community that have those stories but maybe don't have the tools and 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 helping them you know move forward whether it's mentorship or just money you know yeah 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 and i think that that's that's it like i think every, you know if you're going to do any sort of pr or marketing efforts in any sort of business like you have to like you're going to have to learn how to do a little bit of video editing or a little bit of content creation you know to some extent i think moving forward for for like you know until something else comes around yeah absolutely we're going to close with book recommendations what are a few books you'd recommend to listeners uh i think the one that i i feel like i got a lot of great stuff in from is let me pull it up real quick i want to get the name of it right it's by chase jarvis i'm not know who he is he's a longtime photographer he has his own like show that he does as well podcasts and video podcasts all that sort of stuff but he i think maybe his own one and only book creative calling and it's called you know the, the full title is creative calling establish a daily practice infuse your world with meaning and succeed in work and life so i think in that he lays out a lot of just great foundational kind of things to think about and consider as you kind of start this creative journey right and, and whatever phase you're in you don't have to be a full-on like I do this 100% for a living, you know, like I think this could apply to a baker or to, you know, a designer, whoever, you know, I think there's a lot of great nuggets to take out of that. I think that'd be the one that I feel like I got a lot, a lot of stuff out of and for sure would be my my recommendation. And there's also, I think in a side note, there's also by James Victor, it's called FEC, Fuck Perfection, but it's, it's like a take on Fuck Perfection and just a good, a good kind of read, easy read. Oh, to be a creative person is just a constant battle with perfection. Just ship it. You know, that's yes. that's my model. And it's so it's so hard it, that we could do another hour on that. To close, sure. uh, where can people find out about more? Let me redo this one. Where can people find out more about Meza Studios? How do they contact you if they're interested in work? And lastly, what are you working on next? Yeah, I think the easiest way is to find, if you want to know about the business, my business, it's mezzastudios.com. There's a contact information there if you see anything that you feel like it would be a, a great fit. Additionally, I have my own personal website. It's my full name, EnriqueMeza.com. That's more just kind of my own personal kind of work and mo- in primarily all photography. And what was the last question? You what are you working part? on next? Yeah, we have a couple of cool projects going on right now. Some toy brand, Fresno-centric videos. We just got an email for, I, I don't know, they said that we would probably have to send an NDA and it's in LA. And, and so that sounds just interesting. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. They give us like all these dates. So that's fun. Yeah. I mean, those are the ones that are coming up right now that are, that we're looking forward to that I think will be fun. And, and you know, we have a whole bunch of stuff we're kind of working on. So, uh, but, but yeah, I, I think I love what I do. It's great. And thanks again for inviting me to be on the show. I appreciate you coming on. I I love this conversation. I love the work you're doing. So, yeah, let's stay in touch. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. Fresno's best. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, you can support this podcast by leaving us a rating and review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash Fresno's best. We'll see you next time.